listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Titled the sermon today, The Death of Sacrifice, and we'll be looking at that odd passage, of, sometimes referred to as the binding of Isaac. It's the story where Abraham didn't sacrifice Isaac, but it looks like he almost did. It's an odd one for sure, and it's difficult to understand. I mean, what's going on here? A father sacrificing a son? I mean, human sacrifice, that's not something that we would think that God would advocate for. It doesn't sound at all like the God that we know. And we get really no hint of the internal thought process of Abraham or Isaac. The text doesn't tell us anything. It just tells us that God told Abraham to do this and he goes to do it. And there's not much discussion about what he was thinking or feeling. There's nothing that we're told about kind of Isaac's thoughts in the process. And so we're kind of left in the dark. It's odd though that there seems to be no objection kind of given by Abraham. Like you would expect him to put up a fight, but he doesn't. And there are other really kind of strange details that we are given in the story. Like we're told that it took them three days to get to Mount Moriah, the place where the sacrifice was supposedly supposed to take place. And at the end of the story, we we're told that Abraham kind of goes back to his servants who had gone with them most of the way. But we're not told anything about Isaac. Like the last thing we hear about him in the story is that he is still bound and laying on the altar. Now, of course, we hear about Isaac later in the story. So we know that eventually he was untied and that he did go on with his life. But this is just an odd one. So let's let's listen to the passage and I'll come back and do my best to offer an explanation that might fit our kind of theological beliefs and practices. Let's listen to the text. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had showed him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This story has really been a perplexing one, not just for us, but for Christians through the centuries. People have struggled to try to make sense of it. If you can read this story and you think it makes a lot of sense, then let me know, because I'd be interested in hearing what you think makes such perfect sense. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, a very important Christian thinker in the Middle Ages, he argued that what made this okay for Abraham was that God had commanded him to do it, and that whatever God commanded was the right thing to do. So if God commanded it, it would be right, If God commanded not to do it, it would be wrong. So it didn't matter that it's like morally reprehensible, that the idea that God would expect a human to be sacrificed to him, we can just kind of set that aside, according to Aquinas, because it was God's command. I don't think I can go down that road with Aquinas. I have a lot of appreciation for him as a thinker. He's very important. But on this one, I'm going to have to differ. Another kind of popular interpretation, was offered by Soren Kierkegaard, another Christian thinker much later. Um, Kierkegaard said that it wasn't the right thing to do. Like, it's never the right thing to sacrifice a child or to, to murder a child or any innocent person. But that in this story, what was right was Abraham's willingness to kind of uh, give up the, the such a precious gift that God had given him. And so that Kierkegaard wants to make the argument that it's not the right thing to do, that is to sacrifice a child, obviously, but it is the right thing to do to be willing to follow God, even if God is asking of you some kind of reprehensible thing. Both of those stories are attempts, I think, at trying to answer this kind of horrific uh, passage of scripture that we have. But I'm not, I'm not overly comfortable with either one. Recently, I was, I was talking about this passage with our friend Chris Green, and he's in the process of writing a book on Christology, a book on Jesus Christ. And he's got a chapter in there that he shared with me. And in it, he discusses this passage and in particular, he discusses an interpretation offered by Elie Wiesel. Wiesel, as many of you may know, was a Holocaust survivor, uh, very prolific author, uh, won the Nobel Prize. And Wiesel was also a deeply kind of religious and devout Jewish believer. And as a Jewish believer, Wiesel tells the story that he always struggled with this. Like it never made any sense to him. Like it didn't sound like the God that he knew. He couldn't make sense that God was asking for a human sacrifice. And it didn't sound like Abraham, like the the father of the Jewish faith. Like why would we want to follow someone who was willing to kind of sacrifice his child? 
And he didn't really make, couldn't make much sense about Isaac in the story either. Like Isaac is obviously the victim here, but how horrific that Isaac would be named laughter when he was like the victim of these things. And so Fazel um, continued to read this story kind of various times throughout his life and to consider it in various ways. And when you think about the, the story of Abraham, Abraham often did kind of stand up for people, even in the face of God. Like he would stand up to God sometimes. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God says, I'm going to destroy this place. And he kind of stands up for Lot and the rest of his family and those in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, no, no, no. If you could just find 50, 50 people. And then, they, you know, they count down. Well, if you could just find 45, and they count it down, they count it down some more. And he's like, if you can just find 10. Now, come on, God, if we can just find 10 good people, that would be enough not to destroy this place. And you see Abraham kind of struggling with the things that God has said. Uh, Sarah once, we talked about this last week, Sarah wants Abraham to kind of put out Hagar and Ishmael after Isaac has been born. And Abraham doesn't seem to be very interested in that. He wants to take care of his son, Ishmael. But God, he seems to resist. And God says, look, I, I see. I see how you are. I see that this is troubling you. But I just want you to know that I'm going to take care of Ishmael. So we've seen, we've seen Abraham not just kind of blindly follow what he thinks God wants. But he kind of pushes back some. He, he struggles. The rabbis have always appreciated this about Abraham. And so this is exactly what we might expect Abraham to do when the message comes, hey, I need you to go sacrifice Isaac. Like if he's willing to stand up for Ishmael, if he's willing to stand up for Lot before that, then certainly he would be willing to stand up for Ishmael. And that's exactly how Elie Wiesel ends up reading this story, that this is not just kind of God testing Abraham. This is also Abraham testing God. That when Abraham goes along with it so far to, you know, get the fire and to get the wood and to make the trip and to actually tie Isaac up and lay him on the altar and put the knife in his hand, that he kind of holds it up, not because he intends to actually kill Isaac, but because he knows the God whom he serves. He knows that, that God would not allow this to kind of uh, go forward that God had made a promise to him that he would bless him and through his descendant make a great nation and not just any descendant, but he had promised through Isaac that he would do so. And he knew that God would be faithful to his promises kind of regardless of what other, other commands had been given, that God would be faithful to that. And so that's how Elie Wiesel ends up reading the story. And there's a, a number of of Midrash or Jewish interpretations that even go further, that say that Abraham is not willing to kind of just give up when the angel says, you know, hold, hold your knife, Abraham, here's a ram, you know, you sacrifice this instead, that Abraham says, well, I, I need to hear that straight from God, right? Not from you. You know, I, I need God to tell me to do this. And then when God does so, uh, and again, this is an extra biblical account of, of a Jewish interpretation of the text. Uh, Abraham then says, look, um, because we've gone through this, I need you to be as, as forgiving 
um, as I have been in all of this, right? And that you need to kind of let my descendants off the hook when they come to you and God agrees in that story. Like if they mention this story, then, then I'll, I'll do just that. I'll, I'll forgive. And so for Vizel, it's Isaac's faith that really becomes kind of the most fantastic uh, in the whole story. Because even though Isaac was laid on the altar, he doesn't kind of give up on life. He doesn't give up on God. That suffering alone would not be kind of enough to kind of make you worthy of, of being a forefather of the faith. Not, not in Jewish circles, because they're kind of known for the fact that they've suffered at the hands of, of lots of different people over the centuries. But suffering in this way and doing it kind of faithfully and leaning into life and trusting God and being able to kind of maintain this kind of holy laughter, which uh, Chris spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about, um, that, that that made Isaac kind of the defender of the people, as he's known. And, and Vizel even refers to him as the first survivor. You know, we use the term survivor to talk about those like Vizel who survived the Holocaust. And uh, he refers to Isaac as just that, the first survivor. So Vizel would say this, that the story of the binding of Isaac is completely different than the story of Jesus on Golgotha. And what's interesting about that is I've often heard these two stories tied together, that Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac as a kind of a precursor to show that, that God was going to have to uh, offer up Jesus as a sacrifice. And while Abraham was provided an alternative sacrifice, God wasn't, and you know Jesus ends up dying on the cross, and so that they can be compared. But Vizel says that's that's kind of nonsense. That in the story of Isaac, the 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 sacrifice lives. In the story of Isaac, it is a critique of of ritual murder, of ritual sacrifice. That that myth really of redemptive violence is is put at bay in the binding of Isaac. And that that's the Jewish story. And that in the Christian story, when Jesus dies on Golgotha, that that kind of negates all of the positiveness of, of the Isaac story. That Isaac lives, but Jesus dies. That Abraham, you know, stays his hand. But that in, in the Golgotha story, Jesus gets sacrificed. And so for him, those stories are kind of completely different. And in some ways, I want to agree with Vizel. I think that often we tell the story of Golgotha, we tell the story of the death of Christ that somehow underscores this, um, this account of redemptive violence, that this violence is necessary and this violence is what redeems. But I think that's, that's not a very Jewish reading of the story. And I think we need a Jewish reading of this story. We need a Jewish reading of the binding of Isaac, and we need a Jewish reading of the Golgotha story, because that's, that's the faith that, that our story has kind of come from. And if we tell the story of Jesus in some way that it's God versus us, 
then I think we're telling it wrong because God's not against us. God's for us. And if we tell the story and somehow that God, this is a God versus God story for us, right? I think that's, that's problematic too because Jesus and the Father are never at odds with one another. They're never against one another. So that's a bad telling of a story. I think we have to tell it as a God with God, the Father with Jesus and with us against death and against sin. Like Paul will say, the wages of sin is death. And so God, through Jesus, is dealing with sin and death. And that's what's going on in the cross. And that's, that's very important to understand that. Peter will say this in the book of Acts. Luke tells us that Peter stands up and says, he talks about how Jesus was murdered, how Jesus was crucified, that they did this, right? It happened at the hands of the Romans. It happened at the behest of some Jewish leadership. That wasn't the work of God. They killed him, Peter says, but God raised him from the dead. They killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Paul will say something similar in, in 2 Corinthians. He says that if the rulers of this age had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, Jesus comes and he lives his life. But unlike, he's not like an Isaac who is just being laid on a sacrifice to, to, to fill some bloodthirsty um, desire that there, there's got to be some blood to cover the sin. Jesus comes and he lives his life and it's a life of love and mercy and justice and Humanity, the darkness, the Gospel of John will say, light comes in the world, but the world rejected the light in favor of the darkness. And so the crucifixion is the human response to Jesus. So Jesus lays his life down. He doesn't come and kill anything or anyone. He comes and he's willing to die. But in his death, God responds with the resurrection so that his very death becomes the death of death. It becomes the death of sin. Sin is overcome in the death of Christ. Uh, death is overcome in the death of Christ. I mean, Paul will talk about this too in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the way in which in Adam all have died, but in Christ all are made alive. That we believe in the resurrection of the body. We say this in the creed. We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. We believe not only that Jesus was resurrected, but we believe too that we will be resurrected. I mean, the, the whole book of Hebrews really digs into this very idea that it's the divine son it is um, the son of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? It's, it's rooted in that Jewish story. It's not a way of kind of turning away from Judaism, which too often Christianity is described in that way. That, the, you know, we had an Old Testament, but it got outdated, and it was a system that was just kind of broken, and we've turned to a New Testament in a, kind of a whole different way. But... I think that misunderstands the New Testament writers, Hebrews in particular, is not saying that. 
It's saying that in Jesus Christ, this one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is fulfilling the law, is fulfilling the promises. He's not destroying those things. And, and the fulfillment of those things is, is just this story, which is so beautiful that Jesus ultimately lives. That even, even in Jesus's death, there is life. Like you can't separate Jesus from the Father. I've heard that story too, that somehow on the cross that, that there was this separation between God the Father and Jesus. And I just think it's, it's theologically incorrect. It's, it's not the best reading of Scripture. That the love of the Father for the Son is always there. And the presence of the Father to the Son is always there. Even though Jesus cries out, kind of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't mean that God has forsaken him. It means that he's kind of experiencing the anguish of torture and death. But God is always there. And even in Jesus's death, God is there. And God responds to the very real and kind of physical death of Jesus with the resurrection. That's God's response. That's the story that we have. Our story is a story that affirms life, that, that brings the end of death. It brings the end of sacrifices. Again, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, it'll say no sacrifice remains. Like this is not the way that that uh, form of death um, is not that's the, it's a story that's being overcome, right? And it's being overcome by God. And we see kind of the first, one of the earliest hints of that in the story of the binding of Isaac, where Abraham is there. And um, there is another, uh, another way provided. I mean, Abraham even hints at that kind of on, on the way um, uh, to Mount Moriah. He says that God, you know, God will provide. Um, at one point, Abraham has like a knife and uh, some fire, like a torch, I guess. And um, Isaac is carrying some wood. And, he, and Isaac's like, hey, Dad, I see the knife. I see the fire. I see the wood. But where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide a lamb. And, and, I, and we could kind of read that as, well, the Lord's going to provide you. You're the lamb for the sacrifice. Or we could read it as Abraham's faith that the Lord would provide a lamb, which is exactly what the Lord does end up providing. And that place, um, two things real quickly. One, that place is where we get the term Jehovah Jireh. Uh, the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, will see is what it means, meaning the Lord will see to it. The Lord will provide. And the provision of the Lord is, is something I, I want us to drill down into just, just a little bit more. But, the, but first, the, the second thing that I wanted to say was that the temple would eventually not be built on Mount Sinai, where the law was given, but the temple would be built on Mount Moriah, where Isaac was not sacrificed, right? Where there wasn't a human sacrifice. 
And again, back to Elie Wiesel, he kind of reads that as this affirmation of Isaac and of that whole, and of Abraham and of that whole story, that that's the place that became revered as the house of God, not the place where the law was given, but the place where this sacrifice of a human did not take place. But as we come to a close, I want us to, again, think some more about this God of provision. That's the God we serve. We serve the Lord, our provider, and God provides life. And he provides it not by kind of destroying his enemies with might and power, right? He doesn't roll in with, with tanks and missiles, with armies and archers and cavalry, but cavalry like on a horse. <laughs> There's another cavalry, right? He comes, he comes and he, and he serves. This is what it says in the Gospel of Mark, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, right? And offer his life as a ransom for many. And he does so, again, by being willing to die. Not, not that anybody kind of took his life. You know, the devil didn't take his life. The Romans didn't take his life. The Jews didn't take his life. And certainly God the Father did not take his life. But he laid his life down. He laid it down for us, for everyone, for this whole world. And in doing so, as I've been saying, God responded with the resurrection. And that is the good news. And, and that's, the, that's the good news of life. And that's the good news that Isaac got too, right? Isaac got to live. And now we too all get to live. We get to live because of Jesus, because the life that we've been given and the everlasting life that we are as being kind of extended to us through Jesus and because of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate today. Amen. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.